time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where if it's not canon, it doesn't count. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is the phenomenal Lindsay. Well, hello, everyone. So, this episode, we are going to be jumping into the Last Jedi novelization, and I don't want to bury the lead too much here, but I, I figured since we we haven't really talked too much about The Last Jedi, at least on this podcast, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the regular podcast. Before we jump into the novel, let's talk about the uh, the Blu-ray release. What What format did you get the Blu-ray in? I went all out. So I did, two weeks ago, I did the digital release. I had that pre-ordered since the night I got home from The Last Jedi. And then I went to Target on Tuesday and I got the Blu-ray DVD combo with the 40-page booklet. So you could say you like this movie then, I'm assuming. A little bit. A little just, bit. Just a smidge. You we'll were give that away. About um, maybe your 180 viewings of <laughs> The Last Jedi in theaters? And God only knows what it's up to now that it's that I've had it for two weeks. Oh man, I so last I guess it was last weekend when I got it. Whenever I got the digital release when it first came out, I I don't know if I'm gonna buy the physical releases anymore just because I never it's such a first world problem, but I hate having to plug my DVD player in. That's that's the real thing. I yeah. just it's it's a pain in the but because I have to unplug my Apple TV and then plug that. And I'm just like, I don't want to do that. So I end up just buying all the digital releases. Um, as See, far as... Yeah, I, I hate ahead, having to store it. Yeah, that's it too. We don't have a lot of space to store it. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I've pretty much stopped. I have... I kept like the DVDs that I like of movies before I switched over to digital. And... Uh, now everything's pretty much digital. I'm even trying, I'm really trying to get myself to read books digitally. I do the comics on my Kindle, but I'm trying to get everything onto there. I'm just I'm kind of a romantic for like regular books. And so I'm having to like break that part of myself. I For me, and I know we've talked about this before, but for me, it's just so easy to like go and skim back to something that happened 30 pages ago. And I feel like I can't do that if I'm doing a digital copy. But what I like about the digital copies is you can search and take notes, which is very convenient for the show. I'm That's actually, pretty cool. I'm going to use that later, actually, uh, when we talk about the the force uh, as far as the last Jedi novelization. So it's it's like that, and then also it's really nice because the Kindle can just fit in my pocket, and so like when I go to school, I only take my phone and my Kindle, and I'm ready to go, and everything's in my pocket, and I don't have to worry about anything else. So. I don't know if it's actually going to work. Um, I'm I'm trying it though. I'm at least I at least stick with the comics on there um, because God, they're so much less expensive. The I trade know. paperbacks are like twenty and thirty dollars and stuff. And when I wanted to get into comics, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to the comic book store. And then I realized how much money I was spending on comics. And whew, 
Not only that, the time, because I, you know me, I need to get everything like as soon as it comes out. I hate being like, you know, the last one to know. And I hate seeing spoilers online for stuff, at least in terms of comic books. So for me, I love the digital one because it's just right at 3 a.m. every Wednesday. It goes right to my um, iPad as opposed to having to wait until I have a free night and I can go down to a comic book store because there are so few places to get it. It's not like just buying a book where you can run to Barnes and Noble and it's right there. So I don't know. I'm kind of with you. I love the digital comic books. I just haven't gotten into the books over paperback yet. Yeah, it's it's a slow slow transition. I got um, the first of the Adventures in Wild Space books on my Kindle. It was like $3. And I've been wanting to read those for a really long time. And it's hard to act... See, I like I like going to the store and getting the books. This is going to be my other problem. Is I like like when I want to collect stuff, I like going and, and hunting for it. Um, so it's hard for me. Like I buy stuff online, but if I'm if it's like something I collect, then I want to go like actually to the store and find it, which is the '90s kid in me. But um, <laughs> these really are incredible problems we have. <laughs> I know it's I, I feel it's like totally first world problems. But like I remember when we would go to Toys R Us. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I didn't have a lot of Star Wars toys. But I would stand there and just stare at the Star Wars toys for hours on end and have no no cares in the world. Which actually, you know, it's funny. You're talking about comic book stores. Uh, last, last week or the week before, somewhere around there, it's testing season. So days just blur together. I'm not even sure what day it is anymore. But we uh, we had a training, and so... As I was going to this training, I was like, I know, actually know this part of Houston because I'm really bad with directions. So if I haven't driven it like five or six times, I have no idea where I'm going. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I actually recognize around here. And then I was like, hey, the comic book store is around here. There's a great comic book store in Houston called uh, Third Planet if, you, if you're in Houston. So I pull into where we're doing the training and I just looked at where the comic book store was and it was a two minute walk away. So I said, oh, during lunch, we're going to have an hour lunch. So I'm going to go walk over to the comic book store like the nerd that I am. And nobody was surprised. So <laughs> I'm following Siri and the walking directions. Siri sent me to the left. And I was walking and I was walking and I was walking. And I couldn't find the store after about 10 minutes. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to turn around and go back. As I'm turning around and going back, which I have to like go back inside so that I'm not late for the training, what do I see through the trees? No. The big blue no. comic book store. It was to oh, the Oh, it hurts. Oh, oh it hurts. It was. T- I went after. I went after. We got out early, so right, I went good. after. Uh, I didn't buy anything, but they do have some really cool stuff. They had, I think I sent you guys the picture, the Phantom Menace 3D. Um, oh, is that where you got it? I, I haven't gotten it yet. I'm working on where I would be able to fit it in my classroom. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, I, I figure it's it's pretty safe there. Because um, let's be honest, it's the Phantom Menace 3D. <laughs> I don't think anyone's grabbing that from you. No, but anyways, that was my rambling. Uh, what what have you been into Star Wars wise and reading wise lately? You know, it's so weird. I feel like in the beginning of the month we got like Star Wars overload almost, if that's possible. But then everything's been so quiet the past few weeks. I feel like there hasn't really been too much going on, no? Solo trailer. I Did know, I need more. So we're, we're recording on the 31st on Saturday, and did you see this morning the Instagrams? It was either Instagram or Twitter that Ron Howard sent out 
um, that they're doing the final sound edits for Solo. I saw that, so I'm hoping that means we get some new stuff pretty soon. I, I really think that they're being super careful with this one because of what happened with Rogue One, and everybody like, well, what happened with the trailer of Rogue One? We didn't see half that stuff. So I think they're going to uh, take their time on this one and make sure that everything's in there. Which I kind of like. What weirds me out the most, though, is how quiet the fandom has been. I feel like no one's really, like, itching for them to release all this new material. And maybe it's just because I've gotten so much better about avoiding spoilers and trying to stay offline until I've seen it. But I don't know. I just feel like there hasn't been as high of a demand as there was for Last Jedi and Rogue One to get more stuff out of uh, Solo. No, I agree. I I think... I think the teaser made everybody really excited about it, but there's still going to be a lot of apprehension because it's somebody new playing Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And it's the first movie that really feels unnecessary. Yeah. Um, like the, completely unnecessary. 100%. But the teaser did just what it needed to do, which was build up that hype. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Two no, more months. I'm excited. Hope I'm just hoping it's a, it's a, you know, I'm going to say this and, and I'm, I know I'm wrong already. I hope it's a movie fandom can just enjoy and we don't have to argue with each other about. Because that's honestly, you know, I've kind of noticed lately there's a lot of podcasts and, and I eventually, I don't know if I want to talk about it or not, but a lot of podcasts have been talking lately about like how Twitter and Reddit and Tumblr and all these Facebook, all those social media sites can be such negative places for Star Wars fandom. And I feel like there's lately, you know, you mentioned it being quiet around the, the interwebs as far as Star Wars news, but I feel like we've kind of filled in those gaps, not we as Clashing Sabres, but we as sane fans, trying to just, like, encourage more positivity across um, across social platforms. Do you follow Neil Lowry on Twitter? No, I don't. You should. He is yeah. uh, Mr. Positivity, right Neil now. Lowry. He he tweets, um, and he also has a new a new podcast out um, that he's working on, um, and but he uh, he tweets out positive stuff every day. Um, he's a huge Star Wars fan, so um, definitely follow him. And then unmistakably, Star Wars talked about positivity in social media, and then uh, just recently, the latest episode of Skyhoppers with our very own Ash um, talked about like what has happened on social media and and kind of some like what are the positives what are the negatives what should we really be taking away from it so i feel like that's been an interesting conversation and i say all that to say the very simple like i think with the last jedi backlash it's kind of opened our eyes to how terrible some people can be to each other um across the internet and hopefully with with solo coming out so close after the Last Jedi, especially after the Last Jedi digital release, which has fired everybody up again. Um, hopefully, there'll be more of a push for like, if you didn't like it, it's okay. Like, just be a positive person and be respectful because we need more of that. Yeah, I, I think you're right, though, and I think it will be because I don't see them taking such a big risk on this one that it's going to be as extreme. I think it's going to be more in the middle and more playing to what the fandom and outside the fandom wants and just. Uh, they're going for more of a fun vibe on this one, which I'm kind of okay with after the emotional turmoil that was The Last Jedi. Well, and, I mean, if you think about it, we're going to have this, again, first world problems, but the 18 months or whatever it is until episode nine comes out, that's a long time if there's a lot of backlash against this movie. So I'm yeah. really... But I, you know what? I'm hopeful. Like, everything... 
everything I've seen, everything I've heard, all the people that they have involved in this project, I feel like are really great. The books that they announced to bring it back to books um, sound phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and I know we mentioned um, what, whenever we covered Last the shot? solo ones. Well, we talked about Last Shot, but whenever we, whenever we talked about when all the solo books are coming out, we mentioned that one um, kid's book about Chewbacca and mm. the, the girl. I can't even remember what it's called right now. And we were wondering if it's the same girl from the comic. I actually found out the answer to that. It is a short story, like kid's story version of the comic. So it's like an adaptation of the comic is what I heard somebody say. So, okay. So maybe, not a new story? Not a new story, just an adaptation. Okay. Um, which would be, I mean, I'm fine. Hey, with. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, we've talked enough about that. I, I've got like a whole page of notes here. I have so much to talk about with this Last Jedi novel. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, and before I say anything else, I just have to give credit to Jason Fry on this book it is so well written um it is up there in my opinion in the pantheon of great uh novelizations of the star wars movies with revenge of the sith and i still think it's a little bit under the rogue one one for me um i really like what alexander freed did with the rogue one novelization but one thing i did notice um as i was reading this and i wanted your opinion on this it felt like certain things that were very visual on stage or on on stage on screen were kind of hard to translate over to the page. Um, for for instance, particularly uh, the Holdo maneuver and Luke at the end, uh, it didn't have the emotional impact as it did visually on the screen for me. You know, I I agree and I disagree. I felt the same thing, but I chalked it up to just the fact that I knew it was coming. Whereas when I saw it on screen, it was mixed with that surprise factor. I mean, I'll never, ever get over how it just took my breath away with the hold on maneuver the first time I saw it. And I think there's that element of shock and surprise when you can see it that didn't necessarily translate. I don't know if it's, you know, Fry's writing or just the writing, you know, anyone could have done it. I think it is a matter of not being surprised by it anymore. Yeah, that that's possible. But for me, like, I still get goosebumps when I see it on the screen. Um, and I, I just didn't, I really, honestly, it was the, the only parts I didn't really feel anything. And maybe it's because I know how impactful it is on screen. And so as I was getting to that part of the book, I was starting to get really excited. Like, oh, I can't wait to see how he converts this. And then he just didn't. Mm. Um, but I, I do think it's a, it's a, it's it's such a hard thing to translate onto the screen. Now, juxtaposing that, some of the stuff that he added is freaking fantastic, and I think we have to start with Luke's dream at the beginning. Yeah, what I okay, you got to go first. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, so we actually were texting about it back and forth, um, all four of us, and. A few days before I, the book was released. Yeah. The, yeah. The, I'm going to say it was air quotes leaked. I think somebody at Lucasfilm intentionally leaked that. Oh, I think they did it on that. purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially because they were calling this the Last Jedi Expanded Edition. Like, they were banking on people they played it getting up, this yeah. book. Yeah. So, that said, um, when I saw that first line about Luke standing with his wife, I was like, 
this has got to be a dream. Um, there, if he has a wife uh, that we're going to learn about in this book, they weren't going to give it to us in the first page. Um, that's just not good writing, in my opinion. Um, that's something that would, would come more near the middle when he's dealing with Ray and have that emotional resonance of him losing someone he cares about and her never having anybody, blah, blah, blah. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed the idea of like seeing what would have been for Luke. I like that they had Cammy um, in there, which I guess now makes her officially canon uh, because Luke has mentioned her in a book or thought about her in a book or dreamt about her in a book. So that's kind of cool. Overall, I think I read it with the whole idea like this is a dream. This isn't reality. Um, so I was kind of standoffish against it until we got to the very end part where Luke woke up and realized that the Force was trying to tell him something, which I think makes it extremely impactful that he still is not answering the call. Uh, it, it shows what he did with regards to Ben and how he feels about that and how he is isolating himself because he thinks it's best for the galaxy. It's not just that he thinks it's best for the galaxy. He It's that he thinks it's best for the galaxy, even despite the things that the force is telling him. Um, and, and I also like the idea that, which I think it links a lot to Anakin's dreams in um, episode three, that when you're asleep, you can't cut yourself off from the Force. Um, I, I don't think Anakin would have allowed himself to have those premonitions, um, that he would have been open enough for the Force to show him that uh, Padme was going to die if he had been awake, you know? Um, and I think the sleep state kind of, you know, shuts off the conscious mind, blah, 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 whatever you want I to say. I think it also really helps the fact that Leia was able to connect to Luke when she was in that sleep state. And I think it's a really nice way to hang the lantern on the fact that she was able to do that without the training to show that the four, you know, to use Luke. And like you said, even to use Anakin in the past is a great way to show that, yeah, this is possible. This makes sense why Leia was able to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And the way that they handled Leia's story in this one... Um... Much really more liked. elegant, I feel like, than in the movie. And I didn't think it was lacking in the movie at all. But yeah, no, seeing no, no. how they did it here and what could have been done, I think it was much more elegant. Well, it's it's for me, it's kind of like what they did with Jin in the Rogue One novelization. Um, they They have that metaphor that goes throughout the whole thing of her secret cave where she locks all her pain away. And it just adds this level of... Um, depth and emotion to the character that you can't really get um on screen because you don't get into their thoughts and here you got to get into Leia a little bit more and the whole situation with Poe and Haldo and everything I thought was made a lot more sense um not that I don't like it in the movie I do and I really don't care what other people say I think and I don't want to get too far into this but I think that part of the reason that Haldo's leadership sucks is because Haldo's leadership is supposed to suck um, and she learns that final lesson at the end that she messed things up and that she has to really do the action to back up the kind of leadership she wants to have. Anyways, um, but I feel like just the whole thing was just played better on the page, I think. 
You know, Holdo is such an interesting character because I liked her in the movie. Don't get me wrong. I like her. I think Laura Dern did an awesome job with her, but there's something that doesn't translate. Like what you said before, how some things don't translate from screen to the page, I think is the inverse with Holdo. Some things don't transfer from the page to the screen with her because she is such a quirky character. And I think one of the things that weakens her a little bit is the fact that we understand her the most when Leia is describing her, whether it's in Princess of Alderaan or in The Last Jedi novel. We don't really get a lot of insight into what's going on with her unless it's from Leia's point of view. Even when it's from Holdo's or when we're you know, going through from Poe's eyes, there's just something that like really falls flat with her. Yeah, and see, I've always thought of it as, you know, we get this very quirky, lively character in um, Princess of Alderaan, and she's definitely not that in The Last Jedi, nor is she in the novelization. And I've always kind of chalked it up to, like, a galaxy that's in basically 40 years of war um, would kind of suck that out of you. And so if that's true, like, that headcanon that I have, I would like to see it, like, in a, in a book series or a comic series where you follow Haldo, like kind of like Lost Stars does, follow her through the Galactic Civil War and see that change that's happened to her and see those lessons that she learned that she'll eventually apply with Poe um, and the Resistance later on. But yeah, there are certain elements um, that are shaky at best when it comes to Haldo. And... I think that they, in, a, in an attempt to get Poe to a certain place and at the same time not have Princess Leia there all the time. Because I think if Princess Leia had been there or General Leia had been there the whole time teaching Poe these lessons, she would have taken center stage for fans. And so Holdo becomes basically a stand-in, um, which I think is unfortunate for her character but yeah, I would agree. It definitely starts to fall flat. But what what did work for me was like Poe's growth throughout the book. I felt was a lot better than the movie. Um, the movie felt like such a quick turn, whereas in the book you get. I feel like it's more of a slow burn, and maybe it's because you're reading and it, you know you read slower than you watch a movie. But for me, I, I felt his growth was more of a slow burn, and so the payoff was a lot nicer. I think maybe because, have you been um, following the Poe Dameron comic book? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I think that I'm so used to seeing his growth there that it kind of translated better on screen. Not better than in the book, but better than most people thought it did on screen. Um, I don't know. I didn't see much of a difference between Poe in the movie versus the novel. That wasn't really the biggest highlight for me in it. Well, then, I mean, you can't just leave us hanging there. What was the biggest <laughs> highlight of the book? I think it's going to be the Ray and Luke training sessions. And I know I've said this before on this podcast and on others, but I was really worried about how they were going to handle this. Because one of my biggest questions coming out of The Last Jedi in theaters was, what was the third lesson Luke was going to teach her? And I really wanted to see it. And then they released the deleted scene pretty early on. And they had Ryan, jo Ryan Johnson and Jason Fry talking about it. 
And the way they described the third lesson, I was pissed about. I was like, this is such a cheap way out. You know, this is making such a mockery of the training and it makes Luke look like an idiot. It makes Ray look like an idiot. And I was pissed. And then I read it and I was like, that was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever read. Yeah. Okay. So here's the problem I have. And correct me if I'm wrong, if, if Ryan or anybody has said this. I don't think that that deleted scene at the caretaker um, party is the third lesson. I know he says this is the lesson, but if you look at where it happens in the story itself, it happens right after the second lesson. And the second lesson is about how the Jedi failed. And so she goes trying to be what she envisions the Jedi to be. And Luke's specific words are, this is the lesson. The, the galaxy oh, so you think it's a continuation I of the second. The, yes, I think it's basically the thesis of the second lesson. I still think, and tweet at us, at me, whatever, um, if I'm wrong, like, if I'm actually wrong, not just if you think I'm wrong. I mean, we can talk about it. But, like, if Ryan Johnson or anybody has said, like, that that's the third lesson, like, let me know because I haven't seen that. But as far as I am concerned, it's a continuation of the second lesson. Um, Especially from, like, my teacher point of view, sometimes there'll be a situation where a student is really trying to understand something and I'm trying to get it through to them and they're just not getting it. And they're saying, like, oh, well, if I do this, and then I'll be like, yeah, go do that. And, like, let them go make the mistake so that they can see why the way that they're doing it is not the way that it needs to be done. And so they're more open to new possibilities. Uh, so that's kind of what I was thinking in that scene. It make, That makes a lot of sense to me, though. And I'd be okay with it because I do want... I would hate for the third lesson to never actually be addressed on screen in a non-deleted scene. I do want them to address it somehow, some way. So that would leave the opening for that. So, I mean, selfishly, I like it for my own self-serving reasons. But I think you're right that it is the really nice continuation of that second lesson and putting it into practice. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I think. And then I think that if you consider it like that, it opens up force ghost Luke coming back and Ray having Ray, like telling him that she understood the third lesson, which was the lesson on crate. I'd like that. So I would be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, but, but with the whole novelization though, I think my favorite part that was so vastly different from the screen to the page for me was their entire relationship and getting that extra insight into who they are together and who Luke has become individually and his opinion on Ray. Well, and okay. So before we dive into that, cause I, I would agree with you on that. Can I just say how awesome it is that, Ryan and Jason Fry totally trolled the whole fandom by having Luke tell the tell the caretakers that Ray is his niece. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It was totally like Oh my god, oh, like the biggest middle finger. Yeah, exactly. I, there's they not had much fun to with it, this. I love that. Oh they yeah. Had, they had some fun with this. Well, and that's something I noticed while I was watching the special features is Ryan is such a fan. Like People who say that he just is out to destroy Star Wars. I'm like, mm, I don't think you've actually thought through what you're saying. Because the stuff he gave us in the deleted scenes and how open he's been about the story that he was telling, I think has been fantastic. And 
like you said, part of that story, big part of that story is is Ray and Luke. And one thing I that I noticed as I was reading this is in the movie, I initially thought like Ray, not in the movie, I'm sorry, in the book, I thought that Ray's grasp of the force came a little too quick. It was like one day she doesn't understand the force. She thinks it's about mind tricks and lifting rocks. And the next day she realizes that killing Ben is not the way um, that the force wants her to go and that she has to let the force play out. And it, it seemed very quick. And then I considered the fact um, somebody, Carl Hassler was the first person that I saw um, tweet this out. And I'm not sure if this was his idea or someone else's. But the two things that Ray's life on Jakku prepared her for was waiting and fixing broken things. Waiting on Luke, fixing Luke. And but I think the third thing that Jakku really prepared her for was to be able to learn quickly. Um, because if you read or look at the expanded material of Ray's time on Jakku, be it Forces of Destiny, be it the short story in Before the Awakening, that's something that's always stood out to me, is Ray is constantly learning. So I think it's, it, it's really interesting to consider it, at least for me, from that point of view. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the other tie-ins that I noticed constantly, and I think it's because Jason Fry wrote it, if I'm not mistaken... Um, but did you happen to read Ray's survival guide? If not, you should definitely get it for your classroom. Your kids would love it. I, I have read bits and pieces of it. I don't think I've actually gone all the way through. There were so many tie-ins to this. Like they, you know, the sitter on the rock, um, different, just like mini tribes and sex, you know, religious sex in the, on Jakku. There were so many like vague mentions of it in the last Jedi. So I was really surprised because, you know, they're, they tie in so many books together now. And I think that was the most amount of mentions that I saw in the last Jedi to another book. Do you, do you remember what some of them were? Yeah, there, there was a lot of, um, how the Tito's would cater to the sitter on the rock. Um, what the, what that person must've been doing, what that person must've been feeling at really any time where Ray starts to meditate or try and connect with the force, she starts to think about the sitter. Hmm. Okay. I, I mean, I can't argue with that. I haven't read the book, but, um, <laughs> I think, I think the books are where we're seeing the most, um, connection come through. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how story group actually works like i don't know if there's like a book section and and a tv show section or, or how they're doing it but whoever is in charge of the book side of things is doing a fantastic job i super enjoy it and i feel like this is something we always end up talking about but i love the tie-ins and the way they're doing it where you don't have to read every single book to get it all you just get that extra you know kudos to you and that extra acknowledgement if you do yeah absolutely i completely agree so something else i wanted to touch on um with regards to ray is the topic of her being a mary sue um obviously i don't think either one of us thinks that i think that people who think that are i don't want to say that people are ridiculous because that's not fair but i think the idea is ridiculous i think it goes back to the fact that her life on jakku um, forced her to learn quickly in order to survive. Mm -hmm. But the one place that she fails, 
and fails consistently is relationships. I really think she she never really committed to Han in the way I think she really wanted to. We see that when she doesn't accept the job. She holds on to this idea of her parents far too strongly because she's continually looking for belonging. She struggles to accept Luke for who he has become. And even Ben, at first, she starts to to struggle with him. And I really found that interesting, that, that she just continues to struggle with relationships up until the point where, what I call Ben's fake turn, where he kills Snoke. And she thinks that he is... He's turned, and she's done it, and she's won, and then she realizes she hasn't. And I think that forces her out of her comfort zone to a point where she realizes she's not in control of everything. And to go back to the idea of the Force and and her being willing to accept that it was not her job to kill Ben at that moment, um, I think I think all comes from that her her finding out that the relate the way she's been doing relationships thus far in her life is not the way that relationships have are supposed to be done. And for me, that makes that hug with Finn at the end of The Last Jedi so much more powerful, um, even even if you don't ship them. Like, just the fact that these are two friends who have failed at relationships thus far in their life, in, in every aspect, and they're finding each other, the one person in the galaxy who has ever made them feel like they belong. Uh, I, I just found that, that was one of the themes that stuck out to me. I really like that too, especially because, you know, obviously in the real world, but in the Star Wars universe, we're now getting to the point where people are going to start to hero worship Rey. You know, the same way Rose did Finn at first. I think we're going to see that with Poe and Rey and everyone in the Resistance really start to admire and have this hero worship for Rey. And I wonder if that's going to. did for Luke Skywalker for the past four years? (laughs) A little bit. What? Okay. Go ahead. Continue. Um, but I think, you know, I'm interested to see if that makes it more or less difficult for her to have relationships with people. Cause I'm sure that a lot of it came from the fact that there was total isolation and abandonment the first part of her life while she was on Jakku. And now that she doesn't have it, I wonder if she's going to be in arms wide open to new people kind of thing, or if she's going to stay resistant to making these new connections. Well, I think... I think part of the lesson for her in The Last Jedi is to be smart about how she does those relationships, like I was saying, um, because she allows herself to be open to, to Kylo Ren, to Ben Solo. And that's the one person she's really, truly open with um, thus far. And he basically destroys the idea she thought she was building of a relationship with him. And juxtapose that to Finn, who their relationship started out with them not being honest with each other. She doesn't tell him why he, she needs to go back to Jakku. He doesn't tell her that she's a stormtrooper. But yet they don't betray each other. There's a an underlying trust there and a dedication to each other. And so I think the idea of that bond that she has with Finn is going to be something very interesting um, to explore in the last year, or excuse me, in episode nine, especially because of what happens with Ben. So I'm going to add another layer to this then. Go for it. If she is taking everything from the Jedi of old, which Luke obviously warns her against, 
But she has the ancient text. This is all she has to go off of. If she's going off the Jedi of old, where attachment is forbidden and attachment is bad, is this going to make her a better or a worse Jedi? See, here's the problem that I I have. Um, not necessarily the problem. The argument I would have against that um, idea is, yes, she's going to go back to the ways of the Jedi of old, but uh, we have to really define what we're saying with regards to Jedi of old. I don't think she's going back to the Jedi of the prequel era. I think she's going back to the going Jedi of that farther. sacred text. Yeah, the very first Jedi. And I don't know how much of the no attachment thing was an actual like doctrine versus a belief. Like how much was it like a situation where be careful about the attachments. Um, don't get too overwhelmed with them because they can cause you to make bad decisions. Um, which I think is an important lesson versus the Jedi of the prequel era, which were like, you cannot have an intimate relationship with any other human being. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess we're going to see, cause it's dependent really then on two things is how does Ray go at these attachments now? Is she going to be more open or less? And then how far back to the Jedi is she about to emulate? Well, yeah. And I mean, we know she knows the story of Luke Skywalker. Uh, we see that um, in the, the, the caretaker scene where she says that legend of Luke Skywalker, you hate so much. Uh, I believed I, it. Yeah. I looked up to. Yeah. And, so part of that legend of Luke Skywalker is attachment. It's his caring and his love for his father that didn't allow him to kill him. That for that, I don't want to say forced him to, cause that's not the right term that allowed him to see the conflict um, within Anakin. And I don't think that Luke gets there without the relationships he has with Han and Leia. So if you consider that, then, you know, I don't think Ray will see the attachment to her friends as a bad thing. But yeah, I mean, it's going to take till episode nine to figure it out. What a ways to go. I mean, I yeah. will say oh, too, in wait. terms of the book and you talking about the caretakers is what made me think of this. I think the caretakers were actually one of my favorite parts about the screen to book translation, because so here's the thing. I'll be totally honest. As much as I loved this novelization, I actually really like The Force Awakens more in terms of the questions it raised and the questions it answered. I think they elaborated a lot more on things like Snoke and Kylo and Snoke's relationship in The Force Awakens. And I think it also raised a lot more questions than this one. This one was really more of just an expansion of what we've already seen. But the caretakers were, I think, the one place where they really took a few chances and they really threw out a few new things for us. You know, they talk about, um, right in the very beginning, they talk about how the caretakers have, I think they call it an ancient bargain. And they don't say who or what the ancient bargain is with. They never really elaborate on it. But they're definitely some, some kind of species that I would love to see play out a little bit more in future books or future comic books and for us to get more stories on them in terms of their relationship with the ancient Jedi. Well, yeah. And I, I think it's, we really get to see why they call it um, the, why they call themselves the caretakers when 
you get to that end part. And I, I just pulled it up right here. Um, and it talks about the the tasks that they had to maintain the Jedi temples. Like they're not there just to make sure the pretty buildings stay pretty, but they it's really their calling. Um, and it it's really interesting to see kind of the Jedi from that outsider point of view and the fact that they consider Rey and Luke apprentice and master. Um, it says right here, one of the last pages, the apprentice had left aboard her sky boat with her two companions. While the master had simply vanished, his robes discovered on the ledge above the sea. Maybe he had leapt up from the peak and given his body to the waves, or perhaps he had surrendered himself and become a shadow, dispersing into the light and darkness from which all had been created. The Lanias songs recalled both of these paths had been chosen before. And that right there. That last I mean, line gets me. Well, yeah, exactly. Both paths have been chosen before, like by a Skywalker. I mean, light side, dark side, you know, it, I love this idea because I, I feel like this idea has always been a part of Star Wars, that darkness rises, light to meet it idea um, has always been there, but now they're actually like exploring it. And, and that's really fascinating to me. Yeah. See, I also, I also took that as, you know, these have been chosen before. It's almost like, is it predestined or is it supposed to be a choice? Yeah. Um, that, I hadn't thought about it from that point of view. I hope it's a choice. Like, I don't like the idea of predestination. And I, I think this whole story of The Last Jedi is about the fact that, you know, you get to determine your own destiny. Because being a kid of the prequel era it's always kind of bothered me how people have called Luke a nobody post prequels. When the original trilogy came out, he was a nobody. And even after we found out he's Darth Vader's son, he's really still a nobody because we didn't know all the history of Anakin Skywalker. Like really Anakin Skywalker was just another Jedi. As far as we were concerned, there was no talk of the chosen one, but once you make Anakin, the chosen one, you arguably make Luke, the new chosen one. He's not a nobody anymore. And, and JJ, I know you listen. Please don't mess this up in episode nine. I really want Ray to stay a nobody. And I didn't pre-Last Jedi. But as I've stewed on it more, as I have read more stories with her and seen more stories with her, just the fact that she's just a good person who wants to help others and she's just trying to figure out what the hell that means... Which is exactly I think what that's Luke what's going to give her longevity. Trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what made Luke last in the original trilogy. Like yeah. that's why he stood out for so long. Is he was just trying to do the right thing. And and yeah, I think that's Ray also. I think because that's when you get those real. Once you get a character who have the has those really basic but relatable qualities like Luke and now like Ray, who like you said, are just good people trying to help. I think that's when you get the kids on the hook because it's something they can understand. It's something they can look up to. And that's when you have the longevity of lasting, you know, 40 years later, people are still talking about these movies. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I see it all the time. Um, my kids, you know, you know, what's funny. My kids don't, my, my students, of course, I don't have actual kids yet because they will definitely be attached to Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. But save for Princess Leia, my kids are really interested in the prequel characters and in 
in the sequel trilogy characters. And I haven't really even talked to them that much about the sequels, but just from like watching Ray on Forces of Destiny, they are, oh, it's Ray. Like, she's a big deal. And there, there's just something powerful about that idea of just a good person trying to do good in the galaxy. And that's why all these theories of like Ray eventually turning to the dark side. That's the one thing that would probably make me quit Star Wars. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If Ray turns to the dark side, it just is it's not necessary. Honestly, I was so worried about that going into the and even though I knew it Same. doesn't happen in the long run, I was actually worried about it, it going into the book. I was worried that once we got a little bit more insight into what she's thinking, and some more insight into her internal conflicts, I was worried that they were going to toy around with her playing with the dark side a little bit. So I'm really happy they avoided it in this book, too. Well, and the scene, which I really wish had been in the movie, it's the the caretaker scene um, with, the, with the party, not at the end. The caretaker scene with the party with the continuation of Lesson 2, and the part where she stands over Kylo at uh, on the Supremacy are the two things from the novel I wish had been in the movie. Like, those are the only two changes I would make to the movie. Um, and it's funny, because, like, I watch the movie now, and, like, where could they have cut time, like, a second here, a second there, in order to get... Do you really need that shot? And I'm starting to overanalyze it. But I think that that moment of her standing over him is really powerful, because it reflects Luke standing over Kylo. And just that fleeting moment. And for her... It's the same thing. It's a fleeting moment. And I think that that creates a level of empathy for what Luke went through um, in that fleeting moment for her. Um, and it brings a level of understanding. And so as you go into episode nine, she because she left very bitter at Luke and then to be put basically in the same situation that he is, except for, you know, that's just a guy there. It's not your nephew. I think that creates a level of empathy for her. And then when she sees what he's done on crate, you, you have a really interesting dynamic for force ghost Luke coming back in episode nine. No, you're right. Because she definitely did not get the closure. You know, it's not like Luke who totally admired Ben and really loved Ben. So when he died, you know, there was this very dramatic over dramatic in my opinion, um, but dramatic scene for Luke, Ray wouldn't really get that because she, like you said, she was very bitter. She was very angry towards Luke. So I'm very curious about how that could all play out. Well, and there's, there's one more line here in that end caretaker scene, um, that I just brought up that I wanted to read. Uh, it's the very last line we get with the caretakers before we go to broom boy. And it says, but another would come and find all in order because the Lanias would do their duty. And that's just fascinating to me. And, and it brings up the idea that Lucasfilm is doing a really good job right now of world building. Not that Star Wars needs more world building, but they're leaving these open ends, be it with Rebels or with Rey and Luke's relationship or just something simple like what's going to happen on Oct 2? When is another going to come? Who the heck has been there before? Where you can get all these stories and, and the idea of Ray coming to terms with her relationship with Luke and maybe eventually going back to Octu, be that in episode nine or in some later book and trying to see what it is. Cause I think Luke was there trying to learn. Um, I don't know if he was trying to learn about the force 
or trying to learn about where the Jedi went wrong, and that's where he figured out they have to end. We don't get a clear picture of when he comes up with the idea that the Jedi needed to end. Like, I don't know if he's on Octu because he thinks the Jedi need to end, or he thinks the Jedi need to end because of Octu. Like, maybe that was the final moment. Um, and, and and then the sacred text there being the last thing, the last real connection of the Jedi, uh, save for himself. You know, I, I think there's a lot that could be explored um, on Octu, especially when you're thinking about Rey and Luke's relationship. Yeah, I'm really curious about if they're going to, though. I mean, one of my favorite books is John Jackson Miller's Kenobi. And there's elements of this when they're talking about the caretakers that reminded me so much of when they're talking about the Tusken Raiders in that book, where you you read it and you're like, oh, this is the perfect opening. Of course, they're going to give us more. And of course, they're going to explore this in more detail. And then, of course, you know, Kenobi is now one of the um, latest Legends book that we got. But I don't know if they would have. So I don't know if they're really going to explore the caretakers in that much more detail. Or maybe it will be uh, Ryan Johnson's new trilogy. Maybe it will be what John Favreau is working on. I don't know. From what Ryan showed us about how he handles the Force, I I want a Knights of the Old Republic movie more than ever now. Like so I really, badly. I, I want re- the I want the twins so badly. Well, I don't even like. I honestly, I've, I've played about thirty seconds of Knights of the Old Republic. I've read some of the books, and I. I just enjoy that time period. I, I enjoy having all those Sith and all those Jedi out there because I think you get a lot of different points of view on the Force and the different sides of the Force, or lack thereof. And seeing what Ryan did with the Force in this one just makes me want to to see him have not just two characters to explore that with, or three characters or four characters, but to have like a legion of Jedi Knights and a legion of Siths to deal Sith. Sith doesn't have an S on the end. But to have a legion of those characters to just work with and play with and explore, oh, I want it so bad. Especially because it could be even as they're figuring it out. You know, because right now yes. the period we're in, it's like, okay, so these people know the Force. They already know it. But to see the first users of it start to really discover it, oh my god, I would love that. Yeah, and I don't remember if I mentioned it when Drew and I were talking or on the last episode when we had Steve Kirk on, but I, I really want them to start a show like really far back. Like you're saying where they're just discovering the force, um, a Dawn of the Jedi kind of situation, because then you could do time jumps, um, in between seasons, or you could keep it going for a really long time and introduce new characters. It's almost like a, this is a really bad, like, analogy but almost like a law and order situation you know how law and order has just gone on forever and has spinoffs and mm-hmm. you know it, it's a connected story for the characters but also they have like for lack of a better term different adventures on each episode i think something like that could be really cool um except a little less formulaic uh but there's just so many possibilities here and my point with octu is not so much like I think they're going back there soon, but I just like the idea that they could. Uh, j- just so yes, we can it's, speculate. It's always it. great to, I mean, you know, that's, I would say, the Rebels effect. 
there's so many things yeah. open that you can always go back to, which we saw they're willing to do with how much they went back to for uh, Clone Wars. So the fact that, you know, now we have more possibilities, we have people who are willing to take those chances, who have proven they can take those chances and they do it well. It's, it's <laughs> a lot of exciting possibilities. Well, and... I mean, that's what made the original original trilogy so fascinating. I mean, you had mentions of the Clone Wars and you had mentions of, you know, this, that and the other thing that they never really explored. You know, the history of the Emperor and how did Anakin become Darth Vader? And it kept Star Wars alive until the prequels came around, you know? Um, So as far as like these new trilogies and, and new stories are concerned, there's so much coming out. I think they're really doing it so they don't paint themselves in a corner. But at the same time, I love the idea that we could, like, 20 years from now, uh, get our own version of, like, an heir to the Empire style, easy for me to say, style of book where it's just, like, galvanizes the fandom together. I don't know if it'll ever happen because things are so different nowadays. But just, like, like we're saying, the fact that they can go anywhere and tell all these amazing stories is it's just really really exciting to me i mean i think it's i think it's what made people love legends so much is there were so many places to go with so many different stories there was a little bit of something for everybody and i i know some people don't like this new canon now i like it better than anything i've ever read with legends um and i i understand if you have a different point of view but my point is more like i like the idea that they can do that now and that they are yeah, and that they are, yeah. exactly. So, last thing with uh, The Last Jedi I want to talk about, because I don't think we could talk about it without talking about this aspect that was brought in, is the aspect of the cosmic and the living force. Yeah. So, so happy they brought that in. Oh, it's so good. So, I have a note here on my little Kindle situation. Um, this is Luke at the end when he is, uh, he's meditating and projecting himself, it says, a force, the aspect of the force, the Jedi called it the living force, was ceaseless and ever renewing. But the Jedi had spoken of another aspect, the cosmic force. It had an awareness and a purpose and a will. A will that had been silent, dormant after the demise of the Sith, only to wake once again during Luke's exile. A will that Luke finally allowed himself to acknowledge once again. So besides the fact that this... Uh, canonizes what Qui-Gon talked about with the living and the uh, cosmic force to an even greater degree by giving us actual definitions. I find it really interesting. This one line right here, it says a will that had been silent dormant after the demise of the Sith. Because it's almost like assigning it to the dark side. It's, but see, I don't even see it as assigning it to the dark side because I don't think I don't think there's such a clear-cut line as we like to think between the dark side and the light side. To me, what I read when I read there is when Luke destroyed the Sith, the the, the cosmic force had no more need to interact with mm. with the people. You know, the, the living force was at peace and, and was at balance. And so the cosmic force kind of, you know, is just back there chilling like, hey, they don't really need me right now, so I'm just going to let things happen as they may but if you consider that when luke starts the jedi temple it's not christened by the cosmic force 
You know, the cosmic force is not there with him. So if he doesn't have the full aspect of the force, like how much can the Jedi really be successful? Um, it opens a lot of questions in, in that regard to me. It, I mean, the biggest question it opens up for me is, you know, figure that when the cosmic force then kind of came back, that's clearly what awakened it in Ray. So who else did it really affect and how else did it affect? You know, we can't say that this is all happening just in this one little sphere. So I would love to see who else is out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want the story. I want the story of how Luke chose those other 12 uh, students that he did, especially if the cosmic force is not guiding him. You know, um, it says earlier in the book, I, I believe it's with the, and I'm sorry, I don't have the note right in front of me. I believe it's when Snoke is talking about Luke, how Anakin and then Luke had been the favorite tool of the cosmic force. And so if the cosmic force is not there guiding Luke, is the living force? I mean, I know the living force is going to be there. I know it's going to connect them, but can the living force really guide him? You know, and especially if those 12 other students that he chose, some of them we know went with Kylo possibly to become the Knights of Ren. It goes back to the idea of I really like that they're leaving things open so we can speculate, but they're giving us also enough that we can ground ourselves in because we never really had this grounding of what the living and the cosmic force really were. I mean, I like it too because it brings it back to what we were talking about in the beginning with the dreams. And can you really close yourself off from this? Was it really dormant or was Luke just maybe not as hyper aware or not paying attention? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Well, and also like it adds to the interaction between, which I'm surprised we haven't even talked about this yet, but between Snoke and Luke, um, it's, it's kind of, I think implied in there that they had some kind of interaction, whether that was through the force or um, actually in person. But if if they did meet and if Luke was the one who initiated that meeting, was that the will of the cosmic force? Was it the will of the force that Ben Solo fall so that Ray could rise? You know, it, when you, when you start talking about a will for a, for lack of a better term, godlike entity, it opens up a lot of questions, especially, you know, when you're talking about it congruently with this energy field that's between people. And what you were saying made me think that, like, where is the line really drawn? You know, we talk about this line between the light side and the dark side and where it starts to get blurred and you get the gray and all that stuff. But where's the line between the living and the cosmic force? Is there really a line or are they kind of scrambled together and as people without the vernacular to really encompass the full breadth of it, do we put labels on it to try to understand it? You know, like being, being a Christian, you know, they talk about the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. But something that I learned um, from one of my pastors was the words that we have for God are never going to be enough to describe God. And regardless of your beliefs, I think it's that same idea. You know, is it a situation where the words you have to describe the force are never going to be enough to fully encompass the breadth of what the force is? And I think it's so hard, too, because we can't necessarily find that direct translation. So we can't find 
a real world religion or scenario to attribute the living force and the cosmic force to. So it's definitely a hard concept to wrap our heads around, which I think is why it opens up so many questions and why it's going to take so long to get the answers. But I'm just so happy that they brought it up and they brought it back because Qui-Gon said it so fleetingly. And then we had Legends books go into it a little bit more, but nothing like this. Well, yeah, and I I just rewatched Mortis a little bit ago, and I don't think that they that Qui-Gon's appearance in there mentions um, the living in the cosmic force. But yeah, like you said, he mentions it so fleetingly. And JJ has said that episode nine is going to tie all three trilogies together. And considering the, one of the first things we see out of the prequels is Qui-Gon mentioning the living in the cosmic force right there on the trade Federation battleship. If it came full circle on episode nine, like, closes with something about the living in the cosmic force could be could be pretty cool uh ring theory situation there oh don't get me started on the ring theory and how this all (laughs) changes everything oh i can't wait till after episode nine comes out because i've already decided i'm going back and rereading the entire like 47 page ring theory and trying to see oh it's so good and trying to see if there is connections and rings with uh, episode seven, eight, and nine. But, I think there will be. Oh, there's de- there definitely at least is some like there's some parallels that we can automatically tell without even having to look at it. But going back to like camera angles and things like that that he mentions, um, yeah, I want to dig into that. But we want to know what you thought about the Last Jedi novelization. Uh, you can tweet at us about that at Clashing Sabers on Twitter. I'm trying to be a lot more interactive on there. Um, and if you're looking for some cool, positive people, going back to our earlier conversation just look at the people who i follow because i only follow positive people like neil lowry and and all them so you can follow us there if you want to see pictures of my dog um and some rare stuff about what i'm doing in my classroom i'm trying to i'm trying to use instagram stories to kind of tell what's going on in my classroom a little bit more so we'll see how that goes uh you can follow me on instagram at darth boylan Lindsay, you want to go ahead and give uh all your plugs yeah, you can check me out on ClashingSabers.net. I am under the surname Moss Eisley Happy Hour. Um, surname's not the right pen name? Yeah, pen name, I, think, right? yeah. I think pen name is right. Well, and also, if you go, um, there's three little bars at the top there, a little menu bar, and if you scroll to the bottom, there is a, a link, um, a drop-down menu, which actually, I guess a drop-up menu, because it, it goes up, but there's a menu <laughs> where you can choose... Um, topics or authors that you want to read about and she's just Lindsay Gadotti on there there you go or you can find my personal twitter miss Lindsay g ms Lindsay g i feel like i need to change that but if you want um some fun little one-liners from my coworkers about me being a star wars freak that's the place to go i say you change it to you should see if star wars badass is available <laughs> i like it <laughs> something we'll something like that i dig it so follow uh, Star Wars Badass um, just so that you're there when Lindsay converts over there. <laughs> and until next time, keep those pages turning and may the force be with you.
Alright, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text!